This is a great discussion. I mean, again, like there is so much in here that I hopefully it's useful for everybody out there. If you're looking for a role, you kind of got a bit of an insight now to what's going on. Carl's, I think, done a great job articulating, obviously, what his firm does. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Brian Hoagley here with CISO Life. Very excited today to have with us from Beecher Madden, Carl Sharman. Carl, welcome. How you doing? Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You and I have been exchanging uh, comments and uh, and everything on, on LinkedIn. I really like your content and your insight. Um, you work for Beecher Madden, a recruiting uh, firm, and obviously we share uh, interest in cybersecurity. It's a focus of yours and, and what you guys are doing. Just give us what are you guys what are you guys into? What's your kind of what's your target? What's your uh, what's your role in the cybersecurity community? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, I think the good place to start is I, I lead North America for our operations. So we focus globally on cybersecurity. We have offices in uh, Singapore. Uh, coming back to that, uh, Zurich, Serbia. Uh, London and and the UK. Our, our office is in uh, Northern Virginia, just outside Washington DC. Mm -hmm. um, we we mainly focus on cybersecurity. That also takes us into certain other areas such as fraud, IT audit, uh, operational and technology risk. Um, but majority of our work is cybersecurity, and we've been in this for ten years now. Um, so it's we're pretty. Um, well established and and because of that 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 allows us to have incredible amounts of data for organizations to use including salary data uh, where talent pool sits so we're able to tell a company where best to hire um, mm. for that talent um, which is which is very critical in in when there's you know a, a common myth of a skills gap let's say mm. um, but um, we we've also it's allowed us to then move into more of an education space. So mm. we do this a lot of, com we do a lot of it very complimentary for candidates and, uh, and clients, not just on the salary side, but also in terms of how to get positions. Um, you know, we, as you previously mentioned, we, we have a podcast, we're mm. trying to do white papers. We're going into universities and colleges to speak and try and educate people on what part what, uh, career paths look like mm -hmm. um, and that that's really important to us because you know we're only as good as the talent that, that exists in the market right um, and i think it's really important for you know uh, us agencies to uh, remember that and also the companies that are hiring you know our clients expect a certain service with us and, and that's an important part so education is a huge part of what we do you, you want to be part of something you want to feel good about it so and it's great that you guys are giving back in that in that sense, and able to educate, hey, here's some things that make you better, right? Like you're helping them help you. Yeah, and, and our organization's aim is to is to become the uh, favorite cybersecurity recruitment company, not the best or the leading, because that means it becomes transactional. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the favorite is that emotion. Um, and it's really important. Like, I, I believe my team and the teams around us are, are storytellers. We have to tell a story about a candidate to a client and make sure that we give them the best opportunity to get that position. Um, and we use something to, to judge that on is a net promoter score, mm -hmm. uh, which, um, which it allows feedback from candidates and clients. And that gives each consultant a score of how are they doing? You know, what's the people saying about them? How are they rating them? Um, and that encourages us to, 
you know, uh, really work with candidates and clients closely, you know, not right. just because of their data piece and because clients need this or candidates need this. It's, it's actually that people perspective. And as you know, majority of problems in cybersecurity are people led um, and recruitment is one of them that causes a, a real 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 problem you know there, there's some clients that we've we've brought on board in the last six months that previously were taking four or five months to get you know to find the right talent in cybersecurity, which is an incredible yeah. risk i've seen when, that when you're a CISO, you know right. it's you know the CISO can't be expected to do everything as as a one-man band you know they need them people around them they need mm -hmm. that expertise in, especially if you're going to specialize in certain areas whether it's seam instant response you know different areas like that you need that talent and that technical talent around you to to aid you and, and make sure you're mitigating that risk and and that's why for us everything starts with with people and finishes with people when it comes to cybersecurity. and as i said recruitment is a huge aspect of that a lot of relationship building that you're doing and and mm. working with right on the hiring side you get to know them it's not like you're just kind of like handing people off right you actually have an invested relationship with the hiring manager so what what can you kind of like un you know like pull the curtain back a little bit and and tell people hey this is what's going on this is why it takes x amount of time or this is what you don't see that's leading up to you getting hired or not yeah, well, I think it's like anything, really, isn't it? It's like any any type of leadership. It's very easy to break trust. You know, like you can break it very easily, and it takes it takes ages to build it. And mm. exactly the same with candidates and, and clients alike. You know, like I can spend hours and upon hours, you know, months even building these relationships, and then I forget to get back to people and and stuff like that. And that that really does happen in this market. You know. Yeah. Uh, I put up I put up some job adverts, you know, being totally open and I've had over a hundred applicants per job right now because of the situation where people are out of work. Right. Um, you know, so it's very hard to try and get back to people. Now I'm an agency. Imagine being a Goldman Sachs, a Morgan Stanley, a JP Morgan, you're gonna get hundreds upon hundreds of applicants. So for candidates, it's about realizing that that you are in, you know, a market right now, especially where there is a number of candidates suddenly available in cyber. We didn't have that three or four months ago. There was candidates right. available and you could certainly get candidates, but they were normally moving from jobs. Suddenly you've got a lot of people that have been let go because, you know, companies are, you know, unfortunately going out of business or, right. can't, or, or not taking cyber that seriously and have cut that because it's a cost center for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and I do believe that that's something that candidates need to be aware of. Now, when I entered this market three years ago uh, from the UK, the UK is a, is a very mature market when it comes to using agency and external recruitment mm -hmm. uh, means. In the US, it's still pretty new. Um, you know, there's a number of people that have, have done what I've done, moved here from, from the UK um, to, to try and improve that. And that is part of certainly part of our education and ambition mm -hmm. uh, within that. And that's where education has been so critical in terms of candidates actually communicating up front. This is what the process looks like. You know, the tier one banks were probably one of the first people to do this, where they were like, this could take six weeks to get through a process. And everyone was like, whoa, I don't, I don't want to do that. I need a job now. Like, I'm looking now. <laughs> right. um, but they were actually doing candidates a favor. Like they were, they were pre-warning that, you know, yeah. especially in cybersecurity, you know, if you're a CISO at a tier one bank and you're trying to hire a director, as much as it's your priority, the regulators, the compliance people, the auditors, they're going to be on your back about every other issue that you're going right. to have. Um, and, and that's 
that's a huge part of it. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, you've been a CISO, <laughs> you, you know how busy you get, you know, you have the best intention to get back sure. to people, you have the best intention like we do, but there's always another priority, there's always more that can be done. And, and that's why I've commonly spoke about burnout in cybersecurity, because there's just so much, you know, mm. there's always more that can be done. And for a candidate, they have to remember that, you know, I, I get candidates all the time following up with me, following up with me, I think that's great. I think mm -hmm. if you're, if you've got a contact there, um, either with the agency or the internal firm, just following up, just keep reminding them that you're there is, is yeah. a key part of that because, you know, people do get swamped with stuff and they, they do lose track of time. And, you know, uh, I don't know about you, but March went very, very quickly. And now, yeah. uh, sorry, March <laughs> went really slowly. No, yeah. April's gone really quickly. Sorry. Um, yeah. you know, so, you know, I, I feel like, you know, like things are moving, you know, very, very quickly. Uh, and I won't be the only one, you know, so right. hiring managers have lost that track of time because the coronavirus and they're having to deal with this risk or, or yep. potential breach, yep. you know, suddenly that gets put further down the, the pile. Um, a question for candidates to ask, and it's something we ask all our clients is, um, is this a signed off role? Do you have a signed budget mm -hmm. uh, for this position? Often yeah. companies will be quite speculative and put out uh, potential roles without sign off. And then they'd get a good candidate to a final interview uh, and then go, right, I'm just going to have to get sign off. And then you wait two weeks to go and get the CFO to sign off on it. Uh, what What are the things that maybe kind of on that flip side, you're like, can't, you wish candidates would just kind of like pump the brakes on and be like, look, that's not helping you. You could maybe just yeah. kind of not do it. Um, just some tips on that side, because I'm sure we could all use that kind of feedback. <laughs> Yeah, the, the only thing I say is applying for multiple jobs at the same mm. company. Like if you, if you, companies are looking for people that want to work um, for that company. Right. So I think you have to find the balance. Like if you're sure that that cybersecurity analyst is the right position for you, but then you apply for an instant response analyst, an application, uh, you know, security consultant, um, an identity access management consultant, you start applying for all different jobs that maybe don't, your skill set sometimes it looks desperate um, mm. and that would be the perception of, of of recruiters because when you apply for jobs even internally you're meeting a recruiter that recruiter might not be a specialist in cybersecurity, right which is quite often the case internally um, unless you've got a real large cybersecurity team such as your tier one banks that will have you know cybersecurity specialist recruiters that have been trained in that area and are used to recruiting in that area. Right. But if you don't, if you're applying for six, seven jobs, there's a chance that that recruiter is just going to be like, that's just spam. Let's mm. let's not let's not acknowledge it. Yeah. Um, and that can really you know call your chances in, in terms of doing it. The other thing that can really um, not help your reputation is if you've applied for a uh, the same company within a three month spell is quite often um like not you know if they've already interviewed you let's say mm. uh, two months down the line and you then keep applying after it's not normally uh the right move to make gotcha um, mainly because they they will be aware of you the first thing they do is check their systems who have they previously interviewed mm. um, i've just got a client right now uh here in washington dc that uh, interviewed one of my candidates six months ago and has now put them in a new process because they, be they, they better fit another job. Now, mm -hmm. you can't always, you know, uh, be assured of that, that that's going to be a possibility. Right. But instead of just keep applying every time they release a job, the best part would be ring the person that you interviewed with last time, 
ring the ring the HR person rather than just spamming and spamming in terms of applying. Right. Um, and obviously, like anything, you know, I'm sure that the more times you apply, the better chance you've got to get in a position. But it's them personal relationships and them networks that will mm. get you them positions better than just spamming in terms of applying for jobs. Um, that's I think that's really great to hear from your side. Like work the network, but don't over spam. You gotta you gotta kind of develop the personal relationship. You just can't just kind of fling resumes into the machine and expect results, right? Yeah, I mean, networking. Uh, when we did our salary report for for twenty twenty networking out the people that we interviewed um 33 percent i think it was got their got their job last year through networking alone for a network wow. of their own so which is which is pretty high um and can obviously save organizations a lot of money as well um from that perspective you know we, we spoke to a tier one bank yesterday going over some of their salary um benchmarking and they said that they had 200 applications through their internal networks um for one position um wow. as an example within cybersecurity, so it shows the it shows the level that you, that you can do i mean mm. every position that i've got in my career has all come through networking i've never applied for a position um you know it's always been a it's always been a referral or a recommendation um sorry other than one when i use an external agency myself but um but yeah so it's uh it's i i, I i'm a big believer in that like yeah. i'm constantly trying to network, constantly trying to educate, constantly wanting to improve other people. Right. Um, and, and that's the start of, you know, building network and building long-term relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and now it's probably a little interesting for people to do because you can't get out. You can't like, you know, glad hand, you can't, you know, share a drink with people. We'll get back to that point, right? Everyone like we'll, 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 we're going to overcome this. We'll get on the other side of that curve. Um, I think in the meantime, you know, you've, there's opportunities, there's plenty of conferences going on. Again, there's so much everyone's eyeballs are on screens right now, whether they want it or not, that you, you know, you've got their attention if you are creative and knowing how to reach out. Um, you mentioned the, the, um, uh, your salary report. Is that something that's available for review or, or how does, how does kind of access or, or visibility into that look? Cause that sounds really interesting. Yeah. So we, we've spent, like I said, the last ten years doing this now. So um, you know, we we have one for we have one for most markets now um, that we tend to give out to our clients. Uh, and then once we've done that, we then select uh, you know handfuls of people uh, where we can aid them in their benchmarking for for hiring. Mm. Um, from there, we will then start to um, you know do more in terms of um, you know going out to candidates and educating them. I tend to spend most of my time uh, educating candidates on where they should value their sort of salary levels. Okay. Um, because obviously in cybersecurity, you get some people that undervalue themselves and majority right. of people can overvalue themselves sure. uh, and actually talk themselves out of positions. Um, and I think that's a common mistake that happens uh, within that, you know, as well as organizations not paying enough as well for, for, for specific positions. Right. So it's a lot of education. We don't make it publicly available, but if people want to, you know, approach us and, and ask for a copy, that's absolutely fine. Oh, that's uh, good. We tend to, we tend to talk through a lot of videos, especially now. Normally I'm flying all over the place, trying to meet people and talk them through it. But obviously with the current situation, sure, uh, we're relying a lot more on video to talk them through it and understand their needs and how it fits them. Uh, and I've done that with a number of CISOs in terms of when they're looking for their next opportunity, mm -hmm. right the way down to going to universities and colleges and showing them 
these are the sort of levels that you could earn if you go on this type of pathway or you do this type of thing. So let's talk about maybe one of those pathways, right? So yeah. um, if we hone in on kind of like college, college educated, computer science degree, four year bachelor's degree in either network mm -hmm. administration, some type of, you know, relevant, right, um, bachelor's, they've done an internship, they're looking for their first role, probably shooting for some type of either junior analyst, because they know how to carve PCAP and kind of like look at, you know, bits on the wire. Um, maybe they've got, you know, some systems administration capabilities, and they can do some type of security engineering, or, you know, they've kind of these policy wonks, right, who can just kind of like eyeball policy and, and kind of like know and understand governance. Kind of those are three separate tracks. I don't know if you want to pick one, but like what's, you know, coming out of university, like what's somebody kind of shooting for realistic expectations for kind of that first job salary and, and maybe what should they be thinking about for one of those tracks? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's obviously the, the million dollar question right now. Sure. There's some great college university schemes across the globe now within cybersecurity and it's great to see more specialist areas you know, like digital forensics and, and more instant response areas mm -hmm. coming out, you know, more security engineering and architecture areas coming out within these, you know, uh, education uh, degrees. Um, I think our fear right now and something that we've been talking to the InfoSec Institute and Cybery and a few other educators is, is there enough in terms of actually seeing this as a entry level role? Is it ah. people in cybersecurity need to initially go through IT and then step over or initially sure. go into the consulting world and then step in. Because as you see, poor job descriptions quite commonly, and another thing that we do with our clients is job description reviews to understand where their skills gap actually is and what where they should be looking in their teams rather than mm -hmm. just putting out, I need a security analyst for $70,000 with eight years experience, which is just, you know, not... not <laughs> not possible yeah, that's not happening sorry so poor, yeah that's okay you know but like it, it's true like poor, poor job descriptions are what right. causes a lot of the skills gap yeah um, and, and ultimately these could be filled by very very capable skilled young people who just need that opportunity mm -hmm. so that's the first thing that we've been trying to work out with some of these uh, institutes and some of these educators is is this actually an entry-level industry because not every industry is and sure. there is a real lack of cybersecurity jobs outside the consultancies because the consultancies do it very well. The, the big four are a great example of taking people, you know, straight out of that and putting them into, you know, real, um, real jobs that give you high level exposure. Mm -hmm. the, the first thing that I would always recommend is looking at internships, gaining as much commercial experience as you can. Facebook, Walmart, Aon. You know, a number of these large organizations are doing fantastic work. Um, I've seen a lot in terms of their internships, um, and that, that can be a great stepping stone into a full-time position. Um, and they want young people to right. um, bring new ideas and, and, and fresh ways of thinking, especially from a well-educated background. Mm -hmm. um, the, the second thing is um, that... As much as it might not be an entry level position, we do need that. Uh, and that is that is the thing that I keep pushing on to clients is like, if you can't get budget for your positions, hire younger, hire less experienced. Right. Like, because these people, especially coming straight out of college or university with the amount of debt that they could have, they just right. want the chance. Yeah. They just want that opportunity. Right. So I think 
when you're coming out of that, you've got to be open to a, a fifty a $50,000 salary, a $40,000 salary up, you know, towards 70 to 80,000. Don't sure. be coming out and expecting, you know, to make the six figures. That is certainly possible within a two year period, but sure. you need that commercial experience to get that. And I, I come from the soccer, you know, uh, soccer background before this, you know, in recruitment, you know, recruiting soccer players in the UK. The one thing that we always used to say was we'd never sign a player in a first team if he didn't, if he never had senior experience. Hmm. Well, there's always this funny quote about you never win anything with kids, which is what Sir Alex Ferguson then went and, you know, counteracted that and won the championships with with a number of kids. Yeah. Um, and it's exactly the problem that we're having in cybersecurity. There's this old mantra of, you know, no, we need we need experience because that's the only yeah. way we're going to mitigate risk. No, it's... Well, yeah, we need to take chances on these people. We need to give them the opportunity. And, right. and that's where we're trying to work with our clients in terms of, you know, not just thinking about diversity and, you know, we're constantly when we're presenting candidates, we're trying to present, you know, uh, self-educated people. We're mm -hmm. trying to present people that have, you know, that are, that are women or more diverse backgrounds. Um, but also we're trying to push on them as saying like, well, let's see if we can create an internship here or let's see if we can take in a junior person mm -hmm. and get a mid-level person so they can learn off them. And that dual mentoring can then improve that. And then you won't need to use us in 18 months time. Because right. you'll have that person, if that person leaves in two years' time, that next person can then make the step up. Sure. And that can also be very, very good for a um, sort of reputational standpoint for, for a company. But also, uh, you know, more importantly, when you're thinking about talent pooling, um, you know, and, and we're looking at like a talent factory approach. Sometimes mm -hmm. that can be a lot beneficial for the long-term future of an organization, especially when you're looking for stability in cybersecurity. Yeah, you got to grow a base. You can't keep buying kind of that mid or top talent and expect that they're going to just do everything or they've even got everything that you need. Like, I've been a huge fan. My last firm, you know, I really pushed on, you know, our SOC was made up of, you know, entry-level folks, right? I, I had two great women on that team. One came out of military, one came out of college. This was essentially both of their first jobs and they crushed it on the uh, mm. on in the SOC. Um, and then we just kept kind of filling it with younger and younger talent because I was of the, I, I came from, you know, doing that myself. So I see the value in it. Plus I wanted to build the team that I wanted. I didn't want to mm. hire somebody else's team and make them work in my, right? I wanted to shape and mold the organization that I wanted to have to be effective. And by having good leadership, and it wasn't just my leadership, I had an amazing um, director and AVP of, of, of uh, kind of that whole component, um, Mike Packard, he's been on here before. Um, he, you know, was able to shape and mold that space as well. And it's like, let's bring in the younger talent. They're cheaper. Yes. But they also have, they're closer to the most recent knowledge and education than Absolutely. your mid tier, your really senior level folks. So it, it is interesting that everyone kind of like wants, this is probably when I should draw. Everybody kind of, you know, wants like this for talent. And it's like, you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> the, the pyramid is inverted. Like you need to build, you know, your talent pool of younger folks down here. Yeah. And you can get away with having less strategic senior level people to then manage this bigger group down here. And Absolutely. you're right. The old mentality is like, oh, let's just, we just need this big fat middle of like, we need this group. And then who's down here to do, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't play out. And you're right. 
like with the market the way it is, especially today, what we saw even before this whole thing started with just the 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 lack of talent in the pipeline, right? You had all these jobs that were open and no one's applying for them. And yet people are still kind of going for that middle tier. It's like, yeah, there's a whole workforce ready to go do something. You just have to give them a chance. You have to go look. I think the other piece is hiring managers probably, I'll, maybe I'll go out on a limb and say this, correct me if I'm wrong, please, is like, they're scared to hire incorrectly. They're scared to hire younger, more inexperienced people and actually nurture them and lead them, maybe because they're incapable of doing it. They don't know how to grow people. They just know how to kind of just manage. And they just want to hire somebody who can just go do and fix that problem. And then they don't have to deal with it. It's like, well, you're not going to build a great team if you just have all these individuals off doing great things and you're off managing their performance reports. Like, you need to be a leader. You need to cultivate a team, right? I don't know. What do you are you seeing kind of like on the hiring manager side? Like you wish kind of more folks, you know, were just like kind of be leaders. Don't just hire and throw into the organization. There's two things on that. So so talent depth. So we use black box thinking in terms of our strategy. We with everything. We're very data led. We we trying to constantly think, you know, outside that box in terms of how can we bring new initiatives to our clients? But right. not enough clients really understand workforce management and, and talent strategy from a cybersecurity perspective. Mm. Everyone has them people at a very central organization. For me, I've been saying for a long while, we need a chief of staff. Every security department needs some sort of chief of staff or some sort of specific HR function mm-hmm. in order to improve talent depth. Um, so that, that's the first thing on that. You know, we need to, there isn't so much of a skills gap as such, you're exactly right. A number of these students now, because of how hands-on, and I've seen these degrees firsthand, they are getting to use, you know, languages, they're getting to use tools, so they can use this, you know, but because you want someone with four years commercial experience with them tools, doesn't necessarily mean they can't do the job. That's, right. that's the barrier that you're putting in place. It's not done by regulators, it's not done by auditors, it's often done by HR or it's done by salary bandings that have gone well this is a this is a senior this is a senior position so we're going to mm. put this salary banding on that's where it's going to be fixed you know cybersecurity doesn't follow all other cyber all salary right. bandings cybersecurity doesn't always follow in terms of where positions should sit and that's where sometimes from an organizational design standpoint you need to start considering okay how does this need to look to operate better so we're starting to see more matrix and flat models where there's different reporting lines where there's no middle management mm-hmm. you know, we start to see a lot of different initiatives to try and align this and get more hands-on folks and if you want hands-on you're exactly right go for junior people or people that want to learn and want to you know get their next opportunity and that's not ruling out you know anyone else but you're right they are hungry they're going to work harder you know they have all the right you know attributes in that respect and i've been pushing on my cl- candidates scrap scrap resumes to a degree you know obviously it's good to have the evidence but scrap it in a way and go right we're going to we're going to we're going to do behavioral assessments we're going to do you know personality assessments mm-hmm. you know, how do you fit into our culture right. what are you going to bring to do here because we're going to a position in cybersecurity very over the next couple of years where candidates are going to have to interview the client because there's not going to be enough candidates. Right. Like that's as simple as it is. I speak to candidates who have got seven, eight opportunities, right? No one's interviewing them. It's starting to, the tables are starting to turn. So we have to be very aware of that 
and the clients have to as well. And they have to change their approach to this to mm -hmm. get that talent. And trust me, I've filled positions in two to three weeks, less, maybe less time sometimes because I've been able to find that talent. But when you can't, you've got to change your ways. You can't just be stubborn and stick at it. And that comes back to your point of hiring managers is that a number of very like, I want this type of team. I want this type of team. You know, like I want 30 people and only 30 of the most experienced A players. And that's fine. You, you can, you can sure. do that. Um, but your CFO is not going to be too happy about that when no. you're paying $300,000 per candidate. Yeah. He's going to laugh you out of the room. Yeah, exactly. He's going to punch exactly. you right out. So you <laughs> yes. need to find that balance and go from a risk standpoint, where, where do my people sit? What skills right. do I need and where can I mitigate the risk? But secondly, I am being judged not only on mitigating the risk, but how long this talent stays here for and how much it costs. Mm -hmm. And when I'm, when I'm searching for winners in terms of leaders, I'm searching for, okay, what, what, what teams have you managed? In what different domains have you managed like different from fraud to threat intelligence to instant responders? So you get, so you get an idea of different personalities. I'm looking at, have you managed different cultures? So different mm -hmm. types of, you know, personality, different types of background, different types of languages. But I'm also looking at, okay, what's been your, what's been your retention rate? Have people just left you a lot? And a number of organizations are really struggling with this right now because right. people are just leaving, going in, coming straight back out, going in, coming straight back out. You know, it's like a revolving door and no one wants to work for them companies unless they're desperate. Yep. And, and that's, that's, that's going to take serious investment to, you know, sort that out. That's going to take a CFO going in there and going, we're going to have to spend another million dollars on this because we haven't got this right from a culture standpoint or a mm -hmm. leadership standpoint. And that's where I think leaders should be judged in cybersecurity on the retention of staff because it can save organizations a, a considerable amount of money oh yeah even maybe more than breaches if you don't have a breach in a few years like it that can be your real cost center and cybersecurity, unfortunately is a cost center we're not a sales function yep. you know unless you are working in a vendor or a consultancy or unless you've come up with a way of building your own product internally and being able to outsource that or sell it sell it on right. as certain organizations have done but very much it is a cost center and leaders need to be able to, you know, make sure that they are being able to quantify why they are there. And retention rates can be a key indicator of good leadership. What's the thing that you think is holding a lot of people back from getting that role whenever they're applying for it? Yeah, well, the great thing is, is that we're all individuals, right? So we all have a different opinion of, of what good looks like. And, and right. I think that's I think that's part of the issue when it comes to senior leadership, whether you're a CEO, CIO, CFO, any of these, these C-suite positions. Um, the first thing you want to understand from a, from a CISO is, are they taking security seriously? You know, that, that's the first thing you want to understand. You know, you've spoke about it before, you know, about, about that, you know, you've had previous experiences of where they're not taking security as seriously. And, and I talk to CISOs about that all the time when I'm trying to help them through these processes. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's the first thing. And, and, the, and a good indicator of that for me is reporting lines. Like if you're reporting into the CIO with a dotted line to the board, that's, that's probably okay. You know, yeah. if you're reporting to the CEO, even better. You know, like you're, you're going to get more exposure for your career. But secondly, you know you can manage the risk, risk better. Um, mm -hmm. And you know you're going to have good oversight of the entire risk across the organization. Um, and, and that can be a really good indicator in terms of what they want in terms of reporting lines. Because if you're reporting into the CFO, you know you're going to have to focus primarily on 
you know, this is this is where I've managed budgets before. This is the type of team I built. This is how I can do it. You know, it's mm. a very different approach. Uh, and sometimes reporting lines can tell you what you need to be. You know, the CEO only really cares about your shareholders, you know, nine times out of 10. Sure. So you're going to have to have that, you know, uh, that ability of, you know, focusing on what the CEO wants. If you're going into a CIO, you know, you're going to have to focus on the more technology standpoint and, and the information that they that they're having to oversight or whatever the business is. Um, right. And they can be they can be things to, to try and consider. The other thing is speak to people in the firm, speak to people in the organization that you might know or can get introduced to and find out what are they currently working on, mm-hmm. what are they looking to work on and what's the you know, the type of thing that they were you know, asked or the type of culture that they were seeing uh, since they've been working there. And, and all that information can be great. I have a number of CISOs that now do that from speaking to me. You know, yep. I introduce them to certain people in the organization that I know. And I'm like, look, just have a 10 minute talk with this person. Yep. Um, you know, and we try not to say, you know, like they're interviewing for this position. We try and keep it confidential. Sure, sure. Um, but we just try and set up them conversations. Uh, and likewise, with someone who's left the business can be really helpful. Like you said, on the flip side, someone who's left that business that you're interviewing with can give you the real truths about what they're seeing, i.e., yep. um, yeah, middle management isn't good enough. You know, uh, we've got too many contractors in the building. You mm-hmm. know, and you can go and deal with them in the interview process and say, from my, from my research, and right. that can just show your initiative that you've gone out there, done the work, because there's a number of CISOs, you know, as you know, it's a competitive market. It's one of the yeah. most competitive market currently in the job market entirely. There's not that many roles, not many companies treat it seriously. And the right. very top end, the very 1%, you know, of your, you know, your serious money of, you know, above 750,000 are, are, you know, very few and far between. And it's mm-hmm. the same collective that will cycle around them jobs unless people can break their way in. Right. So you've got to make sure that you do your research and you prepare and you do as much as you can. And that means coming out the box, spending a lot of time speaking to people in the company, outside yep. the company, speaking to recruiters, you know, like myself, like who know a lot of people and know a lot about different organizations. You know, like I can give you that information. Like, yeah. okay, it's my time, but, you know, I'm always willing to help people, as I've said before, like you are. Like, and that, and that can be... That can be the the part that stands out because you can't get inside that person's head. You can't get in that CIO unless you know them. You can't get in that CIO, CIO's head. People's opinion changes every day. You know, if I'm looking for a security analyst today, I might see a, I might read a different article and that goes, no, maybe I don't need to focus so much on Q radar. Maybe I'm, maybe, maybe I'm focusing on the wrong tool. Right. And a day later I go, we're scrapping that. I'm, I'm going for, I'm going sure. for, you know, a different tool, let's say, yep. uh, as an example. And, and that, 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 that happened. We have clients all the time that go, you know, one week into a search and go, yeah, we refined the search. We've refined the search. We, we, we've changed our mind. And I'm right. like, I've just spent the last two, three days speaking to candidates for you. And now right. they, none of them fit. You know? And, and that, and that's part of our job, obviously, you know, being sure. agile and, and, and that's why we've been in the market because we have these talent pools ready to go. But it still hurts every time because yeah. <laughs> you know you've wasted days. And that's exactly yeah. for them candidates. The right. candidates have got brought in. They, they love the organization. Yeah. You know, say it's, then they say it's like Facebook or Google and they're like, this is my chance to get in there. And then suddenly their heart's oh. ripped out because you, you've then changed your strategy. And, and yeah. that happens constantly. So the only thing I can really counteract that with is, like I said, 
you know, manage that expectation, but secondly, do as much research as you can and speak to mm -hmm. as many people as you can, because the more information you have going into that interview process, for me, the greater, the greater the chance that you have. And when it oh, comes yeah. to references, like references is something that not every company does. So, you know, right. it's, I love what you're saying. I think it's brilliant. And I would do that if I was hiring people. Um, cause you're exactly right. I, I get so many references through when I'm hiring for my team and I get their, you know, two former bosses ago, their friends, their yep. mum, uh, you know, whoever they can get hold of that will give them a good reference. Sure. Um, we all do it. We all yeah. do it. Like, I'm not going to give you someone who's going to say something bad about me, but if you go and interview some of the team, some of the former members of my team that I've let go, right. they're probably not going to say as many good things. And you will, if you, if you screen enough of them, they will give you the themes that you will see. It's not a no, you know, unless, unless it's like a, a racist or a behavioral issue that you're right. constantly seeing. But if you're seeing themes of he's only good when he's backs against the wall or he's only good when, you know, he only spoke to me when things were going well, mm. you know, you start to see a leadership style and a leadership trait that might not be good in such a high pressure environment or, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff like that. And that can be really critical to companies in terms of mitigating these risks because, you know, with CISOs, with a cybersecurity analyst, you can replace them. You, 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 yeah. you make a mistake higher, you know, stuff like that. The further you go up the food chain, harder not it is. so much. Right. This is a great discussion. I mean, again, like there is so much in here that I hopefully it's useful for everybody out there. If you're looking for a role, you kind of got a bit of an insight now to what's going on. Carl's, I think, done a great job articulating, obviously, what his firm does. And this is Brian Hoagley. Thanks again for watching CISO Life. We'll catch you guys next time. Stay safe out there, all right? Take care.